Alaska, a vast remote wilderness twice the size of Texas. There are dangerous, unpredictable forces at work here. In one of the most mysterious corners of the globe. A lot of things can kill you out here without even trying. This is a place hundreds of times more deadly than the Bermuda Triangle. Oh my God. Stories of alien abductions. I believe it was a UFO. The paranormal, vanishing airplanes, and strange beasts. The Alaskan Bigfoot, he can rip you in half. These accounts are really widespread. It peeked out of the tree right there. Have haunted those who dare set foot here. In the last 30 years, 16,000 people have disappeared without a trace. More people have disappeared than the Bermuda Triangle, two to three times the amount. Witnesses tell us their shocking stories. I was petrified. And we've gathered some of the world's leading experts in their field. I'm always after scientific evidence that can be independently corroborated to try and unlock the mystery of the Alaska Triangle. coast of Alaska includes some of the most treacherous waterways in the world. It's no surprise that ships go down, but some of these wrecks are shrouded in mystery. Extraordinary, terrifying events seem to plague the seas of the Alaska Triangle. It's as though some mysterious forces are luring ships to their doom. And that includes the biggest of all, the Princess Sophia. The sinking of the SS Princess Sophia is without doubt the worst maritime tragedy in Alaskan history. It's a huge tragedy in the Pacific Northwest. It took rich and poor, it took everybody. It's a long forgotten maritime disaster, unknown and unexplained. This is one of the big mysteries of the Alaska Triangle. The sinking of the SS Princess Sophia in 1918 was the greatest loss of life in a single event in Alaskan history. Yet to this day, the reason why it went down in the southern corner of the triangle remains an enigma. And there are stories even today of ghosts and paranormal activity linked with the Sophia, including right in the very center of the Alaskan capital, Juneau. As an investigator, we hear these stories, and it, what it's all about really is trying to establish if there's credibility, if there's truth to those stories. You know, there's paranormal events that have been said to have happened there, but what is actually going on? The story of the Princess Sophia is bound up with the story of Alaska at the turn of the 20th century. The gold rush was over, but the remote interior was still peppered with small mining communities and lone prospectors. But it was seasonal work, impossible over the Alaskan winter. Bjorn Dila is an Alaskan writer who's researched the history of the miners during that era. Alaska 1918, there's still people making a living mining, many of who spend spring and summer in Alaska and then in the wintertime come and travel by steamer down south. And one of these steamers was the Princess Sophia. The embarkation point for the steamers was Skagway, a small gold rush port on the south coast. It's late October in Skagway. It's the last run of the year to get prospectors, miners, 
other folks out of the interior of Alaska. There's no road in or out. So the Princess Sophia is the last chance. You're stuck if you don't. You're, you're in Alaska until May, June. So you have all these people that are just kind of fleeing to Skagway. One man who knows these waters well is British author Anthony Dalton. He's written extensively about the maritime history of this area, and in particular, the Princess Sophia. It was a Canadian Pacific steamship. She was a passenger and cargo ship sailing between Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and Skagway, Alaska. In October 1918, Princess Sophia was at the dock in Skagway. There was a flurry of activity getting her loaded. 353 people were legally on board, plus 24 horses, one dog, and there were some stowaways. Mostly, the passengers would have been men heading south for the winter back to Vancouver. They left Skagway and headed down the Lynn Canal. At over 2,000 feet deep, the 90-mile Lynn Canal is the deepest fjord in North America and one of the deepest and longest in the world. It's renowned for its treacherous and unpredictable weather. From having spent a lot of time in that waterway, Lynn Canal, even on days where it is placid calm, it has gone in a matter of a couple minutes to all of a sudden you're in two meter high seas, five meter chop, no visibility, snow all over the deck, icy spray, and you're fighting for your life to get out of there. As it made its way down the fjord, the Princess Sophia was hit by an unusually fierce storm with winds of 80 to 90 miles per hour. 80 mile per hour winds in Northern Lynn Canal is essentially hell on earth. The men who had been digging for gold in Alaska were now under attack by Alaska's forces of nature. But none of this should have been a problem for the Princess Sophia. Her maiden voyage had been just six years before, and she had sailed the Atlantic, rounding the hazardous Cape Horn. This is a big boat we're talking about. This boat's designed to take terrible weather. But for some unknown reason, the Princess Sophia strayed off course. Around two o'clock in the morning, traveling at 12 knots, which was full speed, Princess Sophia was one mile away from where she should be. And she ran straight up on Vanderbilt Reef. Explorer Hugh Newman has been looking into the Princess Sophia story. The Vanderbilt Reef was well known to the captain. It was like a rocky outcrop, just slightly sticking out of the water. There were gale force winds, but still, the ship should have handled this. It had a double steel hull, unlike the previous wooden ships that were around at that time. So why the ship ended up on the reef a mile off course is a big mystery. It's almost like the elements were conspiring to bring down this ship. It's a really strange story. The ship was stuck, but it was low tide. There was still no need to panic. The captain decided there was nothing they could do, just wait for the tide to come up more. He really felt the ship would float off. Theoretically, you refloat, 
and you're able to limp into port uh, and not go down. So they wait and they wait, they wait 40 hours and the storm never lessens. In fact, the storm worsened, but still the ship should have been safe. But later that night, the unthinkable happened. The ship suddenly turned on the reef. When the ship started to pirouette, I believe terror would have been a very large part of the emotion on board, not just for the passengers, but also for the crew, because the sound alone would have been really frightening. The steel hull tore open and water came rushing in. It's recorded that the boiler exploded and oil went everywhere. And then the boat properly then sank. The last message from the radio operator is a good indication. He called for help and said, we are moving, we are moving. And then it was gone, it was nothing. One of the big questions about this whole story is the fact that it appears, even though it took half an hour for the ship to actually sink, people stayed in their cabins in pitch blackness. So why on earth would they do that? Others entered the freezing oil-covered water, some putting their trust in the life preservers. Those who didn't have life jackets on would have gone down with the ship, been sucked in. When a ship goes down, it tends to create almost a vacuum. And if you're within that area, you're pulled down into it. Those who weren't sucked in by the ship would have drowned in the waves and, of course, from the effects of the viscous bunker oil. So all in all, 353 people died, potentially more that weren't accounted for, um, all hands except for a dog. One dog, the lone survivor, an English setter, found exhausted and covered in oil, washed ashore two days after the sinking. 180 bodies were also washed ashore. The rest, up to 200 bodies, unaccounted for. The SS Princess Sophia had become a mass grave. It's the greatest maritime disaster of the Pacific Northwest. But the end of the Princess Sophia was just the beginning of the strange events surrounding the Alaska Triangle's most tragic incident. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.
one corner of the Alaska Triangle is the site of a major shipwreck, which, despite the terrible loss of life, remains little known outside Alaska. The SS Princess Sophia. Just how did this sturdy, state-of-the-art steamer hit a well-known reef and end up at the bottom of the Lynn Canal? The SS Princess Sophia really should have handled moving down through the Lynn Canal. It should not have hit the reef. It shouldn't have gone anywhere near it. And so the fact that you know this happened does suggest it was human error. If it was human error, maybe the captain was at fault. And since the disaster, he's borne much of the blame. Captain Locke of the Princess Sophia has, has long been villainized just because he was the easiest scapegoat for this massive tragedy. But he was super experienced. And there's no proof that he was anything but a very accomplished and responsible captain. The captain had been on her for two years, running that route between Skagway and Vancouver, backwards and forwards for the whole summer. He knew the route. He knew the dangers. All skippers on that route knew the dangers of Vanderbilt Reef. It's simply astonishing that Captain Locke would have made such a mistake. So much so that Hugh Newman has been drawn towards an interesting new theory. In southern Alaska, around the point where this disaster happened, there are reported major magnetic anomalies. We have strange geology, shifts in the magnetic field that are up to 20% different to the standard reading. And these can have an effect on navigation, on compasses, and even on the mind. So perhaps this was one of the causes of this disaster. Strange magnetic forces have been cited as being behind other mysteries of the Triangle, such as the 1950 disappearance of a Douglas C-54, lost without a trace near the Canadian border. Mike Ricksecker is a paranormal investigator with a particular interest in the effects of electromagnetism. The Alaska Triangle has a lot of potency with it, you have the proximity to the North Pole, magnetic north. All this swelling of the electromagnetic activity can disorient, can affect people's mood swings. These releases of energy could certainly drastically affect people. So perhaps the crew of the Sophia were disoriented and confused. There's even a theory that extreme electromagnetism can lead to the distortion of space and the creation of vortices blamed by some for the mysteries of the Bermuda Triangle. Our bodies are our greatest asset in picking up and sensing supernatural phenomena. But these vortices can affect objects that are even larger, like ships. You hear about these disappearances in the Bermuda Triangle. Same thing in Alaska, around the Alaska Triangle. Ships have gone down from these vortices. Ships have gone completely missing from these vortices without a trace. So is this all connected, and is this all part of the mystery of the Alaska Triangle? Alternatively, could it even be the case that the Triangle is somehow striking back against those taking away its valuable minerals? So there are traditions all around the world of when you take things from certain places, especially, you know, reserves of gold and diamonds and riches that are really part of the sacred landscape to the indigenous people of these areas. That often great thunder and lightning and bad weather can sometimes be manifested 
or you disturb just the spirit of the land, these kind of things can happen. And wrecks of steamships associated with the gold rush litter this corner of the triangle. Annette Smith is a local diver who knows these waters as well as anyone. This area around Juneau, we have many shipwrecks here. We are lined with shipwrecks. You can start down at Gambier Bay, which is just south of Juneau. There's the wreck of the state of California. You come up behind Douglas Island is the wreck of the Islander. These waters are not waters to be trifled with. This is a dangerous area. In 1910, the Princess May ran aground on rocks in the Lynn Canal, within sight of Vanderbilt Reef. She was laden with Alaskan gold. But it's the sinking of the Princess Sophia that was the region's greatest tragedy. After the Sophia went down, a huge search and rescue party went out and were recovering all the bodies that they, they could. Even the governor is out there collecting bodies. They're all looking for people. And of course, you know, no one besides the dog is ever found alive. Despite extensive searches by divers at the time, over 200 bodies were still unaccounted for. The owners of the ship Canadian Pacific said that they were not found on the ship and they were never washed up. So what happened to these bodies, we really don't know. When she sank, it seems that the Princess Sophia took many secrets with her. But now, Annette Smith is going to dive the wreck. So where we are sitting right now, the, the wreck of the Princess Sophia is directly underneath us. And where she lived the last 40 hours of her life is right over there on that reef. And she's laid out facing that reef and coming out this way at an angle. And so she at some point came across the reef. It was very fast and she went down. This isn't a dive for the faint hearted. The currents can be treacherous, and if you become separated from your boat, it's seven miles to shore. 100 feet down, cloaked in white, bulbous sea anemones, the lost ship comes into view. Inevitably, thoughts are with the victims in their last moments. Nobody knows what really happened or what the final minutes were. We do know there was a radio transmission that said, for God's sakes, come, water's coming into the cabin. We do know that it was quick. But what really happened that night, we don't know. But you can imagine the terror of sitting here all alone, hearing your, the ship you're on being ripped apart and going down. It must have been horrible. This is the scene of a great tragedy known little outside of Alaska. In history, it's overshadowed by the sinking of the Titanic. Why? Much of the reason is because of the timing. The story of the Princess Sophia is a story that has been lost in time and history. It was lost because it happened at the same time that the end of World War I occurred. We were in the middle of the Spanish flu, so these were big events that overshadowed this wreck. So I went down and just swam up the bow. And the bow sits like this, the rails 
and it's covered in these white plumous anemones, and they're huge anemones, tall, white, ghostly figures moving in the current. And for me, it was like the ghosts of the Sophia said it was okay for me to be there. It really brought home to me what really happened there. You know, you know what you're diving. You're diving a graveyard. The wreck is corroded and overgrown, but Annette was able to make out the boilers of the ship, and they're intact. There's a lot of questions about the wreck. There's, there's questions of what really happened. What history says happened didn't happen. As history said the boilers exploded and they did not. All three of them were down there. They're still down there. We saw them today and they're still whole. There's mysteries of what happened to the other hundred people. Where are they? Um, so there's a lot of questions. The bodies that were recovered were still enough to overwhelm the local resources. They were brought back to Juneau, which you got to remember, they were a tiny little town at the time. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have a morgue that was designed to carry more than 10 bodies. All these bodies had to be stored wherever they could. And the main spot that they were stored was near Front Street in downtown Juneau today. The bodies of these unfortunate victims would now add to the growing mystery surrounding the tragedy because it's said the souls of the deceased returned as ghosts to haunt the Alaskan capital. The bodies that were recovered, many of them were placed inside the Juneau drugstore in the center of town. Others were placed in various other buildings all over the area. Paranormal activity was then widely reported. Ghosts were seen, strange noises and voices were heard, and even possible poltergeist activity. The focus of this activity was the basement of the drugstore, and it's said to continue to this day. In 2017, nearly 100 years after the tragedy, an employee of the drugstore went down to the basement, which is used for storage. A distressed, ghostly figure appeared. The store worker watched in terror as the figure looked at her and then vanished. Jeff Richards is a leading paranormal investigator from Saskatchewan in Canada. In his experience, ghostly activity is common at a scene of great tragedy. That amount of loss and death, combined with the outpouring of grief that the community would have felt, that would have torn a pretty big hole energy-wise in the area. And I think that sometimes when those pockets are created or when we have these massive moments of, of great pain and strife and suffering and death, those places become sort of like beacons for spirit. Jeff has now come to Juneau to visit the infamous drugstore. It's exciting because it gives us an opportunity to find out the truth behind the tales that we're being told. The manager of the drugstore is Brenda Lamas. Hello. Hi. Hi. Brenda? Yes. Jeff. Brenda, nice to meet you. As well. Now, Juno Drug, I understand that the Princess Sophia goes down, and a lot of the bodies are brought here to Juno Drug. Yes, right in the basement. They're stored in the basement? Yes. Have you had any experiences personally? I've been pushed or touched on my shoulder. It was kind of like a heavy push. 
I turned back and nothing was there. Something physically pushed your shoulder? Yeah. Something that you could not see? No. Now, do you mind if I have a look Yeah, down let's there? go. Okay. Yeah, I'll show you where it is. All right, and the basement's just right down there. Okay. Now, do you feel comfortable going down there? I'd rather not. Okay. I, uh, I'll get started. Okay. Thanks. If I was trying to hide away from people, I would probably, I would want, I would want to go hide away in here. As a paranormal investigator, Jeff's first step is to use his intuition to try to pick up sensations caused by the spirits. There's a sensation that I'm picking up right now. It's cold, it's really cold. I can feel myself physically cold. Also, there's, an, there's sort of this feeling in the back of my neck right back here. There's these two hands. A judge of size, what an adult size hand. Believing that there's a spirit present, Jeff's principal method is to will it to make contact by its use of electromagnetic forces. I'm going to ask you to come forward, talk to us if you can. Are you trying to pull the energy out of the batteries? Is that what you're trying to do? Can you make the flashlight go completely off? Can you make that flashlight go off? One of Jeff's major tools is his EMF meter which detects electromagnetic energy. Can you touch this meter right here? Good. Touch this light. A green light. Can you touch that? Oh, a little bit of power there. I don't know your name. I don't know who you are. Touch that meter. Touch that light. This green light right here. You've killed my flashlight. Now touch that green light. I'm going to count to three. And on three, what I want you to do is I want you to touch this meter. Touch it, just your whole hand. Okay? One. Two. Three. Touch the lights. Three. Oh, good, 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 good. Amazing. One more time. Can you do that again with the lights there? Okay, good, good. See, you touch that, it's fine. It doesn't hurt you. It does not hurt you. I'm gonna to count to three, and when I hit three, I want you to touch the green light for me. Just grab it. One, two, three. Very good. Having established contact, Jeff wants to try to get information out of the spirit using other specially developed technology. He has with him an electronic device called a spirit box, which scans the airwaves, amalgamating the frequency sounds into what's known as white noise. 
So the idea here is that this device actually gives a way for the spirit to communicate vocally. So we'll be able to hear their words in real time as I'm asking them questions. So I'm going to try to give you a voice. If you're here, I want to hear you speak. So if you can please come forward and say your name. Jeff listens beyond the normal background sound for the words of any spirit trying to communicate. Say your name for me. I'd like your name. Can you tell me your name? Boy. Boy. Very clearly boy. Jeff hears the word boy. Are you looking for your boy? If this is a father looking for his son, I just want you to touch the light in my hand or say the word yes. This time, the answer is clearer. What sounds like a distant yes is shouted. If this is a father looking for his son, I just want you to touch the light in my hand or say the word yes. The sound here has not been doctored in any way. I just want you to touch the light in my hand or say the word yes. You're looking for your son? Is there a boy touching this right now? Oh, here we go. Just say your name for me, please. No. Just say your name for me, please. No. You don't want to tell me your name? Wait? You want us to wait? What do you want me to wait for? Your message isn't coming through very clearly, so I'd like for you to say the word yes or no when I ask a question. Just a simple yes or no. Are you a father looking for his son? Was your son in this building? Here. Just say your name for me, please. Scott. Did you hear that? Very clearly, Scott. Did you pass did you pass away on the Sophia? Most of the first names are absent from the records of the passenger and crew list of the Princess Sophia. The children, 
and of course, any stowaways, aren't named at all. But there are three men listed with the first initial S. Thank you very much for communicating with us here today. I'm going to leave you in this space. I'm going to ask for you to stay in this space. Do not follow myself or any member of this crew. Do not attach yourself to any of us. You need to stay where you are. Stay where you're comfortable. This is your home. This is your safe space. Thank you for communicating. We leave you with love and respect. In Alaska, the tragedy of the Princess Sophia is not forgotten. Here, in the basement of this drugstore, Jeff believes he has actually communicated with its dead. It's very clear to me, there is definitely someone here. There's someone here in the lower level of the Juno drugstore. Three, touch the lights, three. Oh, good, 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 good. Amazing. Paranormal activity like this is unusual in the middle of a populated area. In Alaska, most reports come from remote areas, somewhere out in the vast wilderness. So all over the Alaska Triangle, we have paranormal activity, ghostly sightings. But this time, it's actually in the capital city of Alaska, right in the center of Juneau. I certainly think there's a possibility there's paranormal events happening underneath the Juno drugstore, and I certainly do believe that uh, the people who experience these events 100% believe they were happening. As big and mysterious as Alaska is, I think more incredibly, it's a place that has been marred by such upheaval, such progress, and in terms of that comes tragedy, heartbreak, you know, all of these huge outpourings of emotion that people feel and experience. You know, it's bound to have many spots that are haunted and many stories that persist. The stories about the Princess Sophia show no sign of going away. Tales from the Juno drugstore endure, as well as all the mysteries surrounding her sinking. This really is Alaska's Titanic. When Princess Sophia slid backwards off that reef and took over 300 people to their deaths, it was a maritime disaster reminiscent in some ways of when the Titanic hit an iceberg in the Atlantic and went down with huge loss of life. The difference is that with Princess Sophia, it was total loss of life. No human survived that sinking. We have to question, why did it go a mile off course? Why did it hit the reef? Why do people stay in their cabins? And what happened to the bodies? Was it some kind of elemental forces? Was it some kind of curse placed on the boat or some of the people on the boat? So this really is one of the big mysteries of the Alaska Triangle. The SS Princess Sophia is at rest. The spirits of its dead, however, may not be. It was the Alaska Triangle's greatest tragedy, and it still haunts the region to this day.